Welcome to God is Open. I'm your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we're going to be talking about Enoch and death and logical reasoning skills, which is a pretty good medley of things to go over. I have pulled up in the Bible a word search on the word Enoch, every single reference to Enoch. And Enoch is uh, an individual who we don't have too much information on, but somehow he had a relationship with God and he was taken, apparently taken alive to heaven, according to Hebrews. Let's, let's read the relevant texts. Genesis 5.24, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Now, in, in itself, that's a very cryptic, small phrase, but we do have future commentators on what that might mean. Hebrews 11.5 by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found, because God has taken him. Now before he's taken, he was commended as having pleased God. That, that's the author of Hebrews. author of Hebrews did not think Enoch died, which creates all sorts of problems for individuals who are philosophically based. In a previous podcast, uh, The Stream, we talked briefly about how people come to open theism and how some open theists criticize other open theists because their system of metaphysics requires things that uh, are, are in dispute. And this is one of those areas where some open theists get a little bit touchy if you start saying that people did not die who were not perfect or, or who were not uh, like Jesus things like that, because it messes with their metaphysical systems. And so in standard Christian, Christian theology, um, most people believe that sin enables death in us. So before Adam and Eve sinned, they were immortal in the sense that there is no way they could die. And then somehow their sin flipped a metaphysical toggle in their body in which now they can die. And then all people must die because they have sinned and uh, they're not allowed to go to heaven or anything like that. There's no, like in Isaiah, when, I, I was talking to a Calvinist pastor once. I was uh, at his church and we, we were talking about um, if, if the instance in which Isaiah was taken up to God, if that was physical, literal, or if it was just a, a dream in his head or something like that. And uh, I said, well, yeah, it's, it's physical. He's there. He's walking around. And the Calvinist pastor said, no, he can't do that because his sins aren't atoned for. And I was like, we read the passage. There's an atonement scene in, in the passage in which they take a burning coal and they put it to his lips to atone for his sins. So there is an atonement scene. So that's, that's not a valid argument that you're given. But in the pastor's mind, and some open theists will take this position as well, that that burning coal represented Christ's future sacrifice or something like that, because that's the only way to atone for sins. And uh, if there was another mechanism for atoning for sins, that somehow would be bad. And so this 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 whole scene has to be rewritten in light of their overall systematic metaphysics of what they believe about redemption and atonement. It's, it's very interesting how people do that. And this, this also plays into that. Because if we have people in the Bible who do not die. Remember, there's, there's claims within the New Testament that 
Paul says, death spread to all men. Well, well did it Did it really? Did, did it spread to all men? How about Elijah? How about Enoch? Did, did those individuals die? And then uh, uh, people who say that death is tied to sin. There's a thread just recently in Soteriology 101, the discussion page about if death and sin are linked and Jesus died, you know, that, that kind of blows that metaphysical thing out of the water. And so people have to use strained metaphysics in order to make the Bible fit together and build vast exceptions that are arbitrary in order to get these things to work. Which is funny. The Bible is not a book of metaphysics. It's not laying out metaphysical rules, switches and toggles that turn it on and off if we do something, if we sin. Now there's some metaphysical toggle that, uh, oh, we can never see God. Well, you can see God. Uh, you might not live through that experience. And uh, if there's some sort of atonement, then yeah, you could probably see God. And and these, these phrases that death spread to all men, those are probably more likely generalities rather than absolute rules. No man has seen God. Some people see God within the Bible. It happens uh, not uncommonly. But what these generalities probably mean is generally no one's seen God or generally nobody dies, but there are marked exceptions. But in metaphysics, people who use metaphysics to define how they view the Bible, how they see the Bible playing out, they need these hard and fast rules. And so they'll take very strong exception to people not dying. And they'll, there's a thread in God is Open the Facebook page in which one individual was arguing pretty strenuously that Elijah, in fact, died when God took Elijah up. Instead, God is just transporting him somewhere else so he could die somewhere else on earth because that would be a big insult to his metaphysics if Elijah were taken straight to heaven. People need a earthly death in order for these systems to work. But the Bible's not like that. The Bible doesn't have these concerns. Let's go look at one of these sites talking about Enoch, trying to do the same thing that our Elijah friend did in the God is Open page. That was that was several years ago. That was three years ago, and a thread from June twelfth. Uh, but I remember it still because it it was it was pretty notable how people defend their metaphysics and how they use their mental gymnastics in order to salvage evidence and data that doesn't quite fit their narrative. So here's this page and uh, it's it's replete with bold text, capitalizations, exclamation points, question marks, highlighting and underlining. So so you know this is pretty rigorous and thorough if it has all those things. 14 proofs. So uh, <laughs> conceivably one of these alone would would prove it, right? Because there's 14 proofs that Enoch is dead, according to the law and testimony, Isaiah 8, 20. Pulling up that verse to see how relevant that is, Isaiah 8, 20, to the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, is because they have no dawn. Oh, okay. Proof number one, there are only two Adams written in the Bible, and Enoch ain't one of them. Oh man, oh, ooh. Where, where do we start there? Is, is, does, did that convince everyone? There's only two Adams written of in the Bible 
and Enoch ain't one of them. So the logic has to be something like if there, if Enoch didn't die, then he would be a third Adam. Okay, where does the Bible define that these are metaphysical truths, that there's these Adams and the Adams have those certain properties and Enoch, if he were to do the, if he weren't to die, then he would also be in these categories. And the author, whoever writes about two Adams, Paul, if he would, he would include Enoch as one of those, as one of those Adams. If Enoch didn't die, this is absolutely insane. There's also so many steps of logic that are, that are not here. And none of this concludes in Enoch dies. So if Enoch was one of the two Adams, does that mean he wouldn't die? Because, because when Paul writes about the two different Adams, those two Adams did in fact both die. So it's not even clear to me that Paul is talking about Adams is about death or anything like that. This, this is absolutely insane. This is someone who has their metaphysics and they're so invested in their metaphysics, they haven't stepped back to try to consider if their metaphysics are, even at the face value, reasonable. They they have their assumptions, they have their system in, in their mind, and they think that they can make arguments based on a complex series of absurd leaps of logic, and then at the face value, it's a proof. A lot of people do this. This is, this is not just... Just this this individual. Remember the sad Calvinist that we reviewed, the sad Calvinist, and uh, he had a bunch of proofs that that the early church fathers were the wolves that were being talked about in the Bible. And his first proof was that the church fathers lived after Paul. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, I I guess that's a proof. I guess that I guess that's a proof. So sometimes these people don't know what proofs are either. A claim is not a proof as well. So I think we'll find that pretty quickly here. There's just claims. Okay, so number two. Here's, here's where we get just a claim. He was not taken to heaven just to another place to die. Well, that's a claim. That's that's what you're trying to prove. That doesn't... That's not that's not a proof. So you can't... You can't try to prove what you're trying to prove by claiming that what you're trying to prove is correct it's this that's literally called begging the question begging the question is the fallacy is assuming what you're trying to prove is in fact true he has not established anywhere i've seen no evidence that he's established that enoch was not taken to heaven he was just taken somewhere else to die i i don't i don't see any evidence of that all these died this is number three all these died hebrews chapter 11 including enoch too I, I like that little last phrase, including Enoch too. So there's a big list of individuals who had faith for God within Hebrews 11. And then it says all these died in faith. Whereas before, if you scroll up in this big list of names, there's Enoch and he says he's taken up so that he should not see death. And so what is more likely what is more likely that uh, the author who said that Enoch did not see death is using a generality 
and just saying these all these people died and you know there's that one exception enoch or or the author of hebrews saying you know enoch who i said didn't see death he also died this statement is absolute every single one of these people without exception i know it's a big list and you go through it and there's one fairly obvious exception if you look at what i actually wrote but he he died as well don't pay attention to what i wrote before what what is what is more probable here we have an example of people trying to make statements absolute metaphysics absolutes uh, instead of understanding that often within the bible people use generalities generalities death spread to men so all men die jesus died well i guess uh jesus had original sin or jesus had sin or death spread to jesus through adam stuff like that you know there are exceptions to general rules within the bible and it's 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 a normal idiom so it's incumbent on him not just to make a claim that all these statements are absolute statements but actually show that's what the author intended and people don't like to do that because people really want their metaphysical systems and if statements in the bible don't work in these absolute ways then their metaphysics don't have any evidence to support that these systems actually exist number four translated does not mean made immortal okay uh, we can work with this by faith enoch was taken up so that he should not see death what is he should not see death and he was not found because god had taken him now before he was taken he was commended as having pleased god and that that word for taken is translated that's what this guy is taking issue with so let's do a quick search on what that means i think the more critical part of this verse is that he did not see death we see it used throughout the new testament as people being changed or people being taken somewhere and so yeah to claim that translated does not mean made immortal is again just just a claim he hasn't established that translated we see as switching a state of being or being moved from one place to other so being moved from maybe earth to heaven could be a good understanding of what that word is being used for and how is that different than being made immortal it's not very good evidence number five the transfiguration moses and elijah are displayed but not enoch why why and it does say that it says was displayed moses and elijah was displayed but not enoch why is that an argument it's like david wasn't displayed um is moses did he not die as well so elijah was taken up to heaven and but moses died there's there's an entire verse about moses dying what is this so i guess the logic is if enoch had not died then he would be displayed and his absence would be so conspicuous that someone who thinks enoch didn't die would have to have positive reasons why Enoch is not included with two other people. Remember, the earth is filled with millions of people. What, uh, six billion people on earth right now? And then maybe another billions of people who have ever lived and died. And because Enoch's not included with an appearance of two individuals, that is cause for concern that, that people who think Enoch didn't die have to explain. <laughs> like, what? 
this is the logic. This is the logic that we're dealing with. Number six, it is written, he walked with God. Therefore, he's not walking with God now. Oh, okay. So talking about historical events that happen in the Bible means they're not doing it now? Huh? Is that is that how this works? So if Abraham's in Abraham's bosom and he's walking, he can't be walking if the Bible said that he walked with God. Or if Abraham, it says that Abraham spoke face to face with God as a friend. That means he can't be doing it right now, right? That's 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 what it means. This this is an incredible stretch of logic. And it, it only exists because this person is very intent on their metaphysics being true. If this if it was true that Enoch had not died, this person's metaphysics would have to be discarded entirely. And so they have to go through th these steps of logic in order to salvage their views. Eight souls saved from the other side of the flood, not nine souls. <laughs> oh, okay. So um, if there's a future author that counts the number of people on Noah's boat and says these are how many souls were saved, um, they would have naturally included Enoch if they thought Enoch was taken alive to heaven. They would have included him in the number of people saved from the flood. Is that how this works? That is how it works in this guy's mind. That future authors can't literally just count the people who are saved on Noah's boat and use that number. They would also be forced to, and necessarily, it, it obvious on face value, they should be including Enoch in that number. Although Enoch really did survive the flood. He's not there on earth. He didn't repopulate the earth. He's not there walking around. He's taken to heaven. And so this is the logic. Number nine, Jesus, who only has immortality, a true statement. But Jesus died. Hmm. <laughs> okay. So I, I do like the fact that these people have not given basic thoughts to their claims. So Jesus died, but the Bible says that Jesus is immortal, which suggests to me that this person not only doesn't understand the life and times of Jesus, but doesn't understand how the Bible uses the word immortality. Sometimes immortality is given to conditionally alive creatures. Sometimes it says it's only belongs to God. Sometimes it ascribes it to all sorts of things. So you have to look at context to try to see how that word's being used. It's it's not it's not a one one use type of concept. People like to do that with the Bible where they want the Bible words to be used the same way uh, no matter where those words are in the Bible. And so it, it's a contradiction in their mind if there are immortal beings and there's a phrase elsewhere in the Bible that says only God has immortality. Uh, they, they'll be like, what are those atheists? The skeptics annotated Bible where they, they build like uh, contra Bible contradictions and they'll put something over here. Oh, the Bible says only God has immortality. And then over here it says, oh, it says we'll be given immortality or we are immortal or the angels are immortal. See, contradiction. Well, probably the phrase and term is being used in variations based on context. So I might be able to say only God is king. And then, like, tomorrow I'll be talking about, like, the king of England or something like that. That doesn't mean that I've contradicted myself. Because it's it's granted that 
I understand the difference in, in my usage such that I'm not contradicting myself. I'm using it in a specific sense when I say only God is king. And then I'm using it in a more technical sense when I'm talking about the king of England or I'm not using the same sense of the word when I'm talking about the king of England. These things can happen. This is this is normal normal speech patterns that we do have. It's it's only when we come to the Bible and atheists come to the Bible and Christians come to the Bible that people can't talk like normal people. We people can't have normal concepts and you have to force every single phrase in the Bible to be some sort of metaphysical absolute where the concepts are exactly equal to any time else in the Bible the concepts used. It's again, that's not how language works. Not how language works. God can be the only king of this world, yet there can be kings on this world. Those, those two things do not contradict. Do not contradict. Because you're not talking about the same concept. Same concepts not being communicated. Jesus says there's no one good but God. Does Jesus call anyone else good ever in the Bible? Does he? Does he? Does Jesus contradict himself? Does Jesus contradict himself? Or is he using normal language to talk about concepts and to make points in context that it's not a contradiction if he calls someone good at some other point in his life? Number 10. Jesus has the preeminence, not Enoch. Oh, what? Okay. So there, apparently there's a concept called preeminence and uh, Jesus would not have that if Enoch did not die and uh, Enoch would have that preeminence instead. All right. Fantastic. I'm sure those are real concepts and not just made up in your head with very specific made up definitions. Number 11. If Enoch lived in this body of sin and death, then we know Enoch is dead. Okay. Basically, this is saying that our bodies have a metaphysical, forced metaphysical death within them. And we can't escape this death in this body. And so Enoch must have the same body at all times, always, if he didn't die. And um, God, not even God can stop this body from being tied to sin and death. Something along those lines is this argument. Notice the metaphysics. Notice this uh, reliance on not even God being able to change things. Notice this uh, idea that, that the body is tied to the sin and death in some sort of absolute sense that cannot be undone no matter what. These are the same type of people who don't want Isaiah going to heaven and meeting God face to face and getting atonement through a coal because that contradicts how they think that the spiritual world interacts with the physical world. Our bodies are sin and death and they're going to die necessarily, metaphysically, they're fated to do so. There's nothing can, that can stop that. We, In order to escape death, we must get those new bodies that Paul talks about. We must have spiritual bodies, not these physical ones. This is a, this weird Gnostic dualism where the flesh is evil. The flesh is decay. The flesh is going to die. Um, but we don't have any indication that this is the actual way that the Hebrews thought about the world. We do have Paul talking about our bodies being changed to these physical or these spiritual bodies. Our physical bodies being switched to the spiritual bodies. 
And in that sense, yep, maybe he's talking about something like that. But I don't think that we can make the claim that even Paul thought that God is not able to change our current bodies so that they do not die. <sighs> Number 12, Jesus is the only begotten son of God, which means Enoch is dead. Okay. Okay, Jesus is the only begotten son of God, which means Enoch is dead. So I guess if Jesus wasn't the only begotten son of God, that means Enoch didn't have to die. But since Jesus is the only begotten son of God, all things, all, anything but Jesus has to die. But also Jesus dies. That's that's pretty critical. Um, I don't know if this guy's ever read the Bible and, and saw. there There is a part in the Bible where Jesus does die. So I don't know what that means for his theology, but it's pretty funny. Um, I guess so. If Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, Enoch is dead. Okay, I guess, I guess that's a, an argument. <laughs> Number thirteen, the Old Testament passage: "What man is he that liveth and have not seen death?" It means no one thought or taught that Enoch was alive, or he wasn't thinking about it at the time, or it's a general rule of thumb. It's like, who responds to God? Who, who answers back to God? There's examples of people in the Bible answering back to God. These, these questions, these rhetorical questions, are not absolute. They're not absolute. There are exceptions to it. It's just, generally, people have died, but there are some pretty critical exceptions to that. Generally, people have not seen God, but there are exceptions to that. Generally... People are not good, but there are exceptions to that. The, the, these things can, these statements can be made. They can be made. Even even when we're dealing with Paul, there's none righteous, no, not one. It's so funny. You talk to these like Calvinists and even Arminians uh, and open theists and say, uh, well, well, Jesus, is Jesus one? Oh, no, he's an exception. Okay, so so this this absolute phrase by Paul, in fact, does have unstated exceptions fantastic I'm, I'm glad we can agree that language is not absolute and there are unstated exceptions that you just it's not obvious in the text that those those exceptions exist i'm glad we can agree on that much i like this jump of logic too he says the old testament passage what man is he that liveth and not has seen death means no one thought or taught enoch was alive so so one statement by one person means zero people thought or taught he was alive. But the author of Hebrews, who's actually talking specifically about Enoch, doesn't think Enoch saw death. Saw death. Number 14. These are all proofs, uh, mind you. These are all proofs. A definite uh, fact that Enoch has died because of these proofs. <laughs> a claim is not a proof. You can't just make a claim and say, oh, that's a proof. See, my view is true because I made this claim over here. Well, well, why is that claim true? Oh, let me just make another claim on top of that. See? Now, since I've made two claims, my, my first claim is backed up by my second claim. And my second claim means my first claim is true. I can add more claims if you want. I'll add claim number three. See? Now I have three claims. <laughs> uh, this, this is the logic of these people. So, number 14. Nowhere is it found nor written that Enoch what Enoch is today. Nowhere is it found nor written what Enoch is today. Okay, I guess that means he's dead. That means he's dead and um, <laughs> proof positive. 
All right, what we see here is an example of someone who's not quite competent in, in thinking through their position and laying out a case to prove what they want to prove. And it seems to be heavily tied to their intense attachment to their metaphysics. Metaphysics that are not obvious in the Bible, metaphysics that are never established here, nor probably elsewhere. It's just a system they have in their head. And they really want something not to be true because that something will destroy how they believe the world works. And so in this case, it's Enoch. If Enoch did not die, then their metaphysics falls apart. How about Jesus? If Jesus dies, how does that affect their metaphysics? Or do they have to special plead? Oh, there's that one exception that is Jesus for these special reasons that only apply to Jesus. Right. This, this is how people argue when they're in denial mode, when they're in full-on justification of untenable beliefs. And we see these 14 proofs. They're not proofs. They're not evidence. A lot of them are meaningless claims. A lot of them have multiple layers of, of imported philosophy and metaphysics that the readers doesn't have access to. The reader doesn't uh, automatically know these things. It's they're, they're not granted or given. These are not arguments from the text. Most of them aren't. Uh, that arguments that are arguments from the text are this phrase means specifically what I say it means. And I could add clauses behind this that are not there in the text. And the clauses that I'm adding definitely apply to what the author meant in the text that I'm quoting. This is how they're doing theology. It's a bad way to do theology. Maybe we should consider the fact that death, atonement, salvation, all these concepts are a little bit more flexible than what a systematized metaphysics would normally generally allow for. In the Bible, perhaps we need to allow for the fact that the biblical writers did not think like we do, where you need this system, where you need these abstract formulas in the ether about how salvation or atonement works. Maybe those concepts are more loose than we would like to give credit to more than we'd like to think. We'd like to think that there's some sort of metaphysical code out in the ether. If sin, sin then death. If no death, then preeminence, according to this guy. It says Jesus had preeminence, not Enoch. So all sorts of crazy rules. They don't exist. They don't exist. Anyways, questions or comments, put that down below. Thank you for listening.